This is How We See It, a look at issues that impact our faith and community. For the next few minutes, we'll explore topics with people who are making a difference in our world. Welcome again to another edition of How We See It. I'm John Morris. Today, we are so privileged to have a guest all the way from Malawi, Africa. His name is Father Michael Yusini uh, from Malawi. What diocese, is Father? From Chikwawa Diocese. Okay, so is that one of the northern one or the southern one? The southern one, the most southern one. How many dioceses do you have in Malawi? We have eight dioceses in Malawi. The most recent one was created in 2010. 2010, okay. Yeah. As I understand it, the Malawi nation, just on a map, is sort of, what, east-central uh, Africa? Yes, about central-east. It's landlocked, though. It's not on the coast. No, it's not on the coast. We share borders with Mozambique towards the east and northern, and then the northern part, Tanzania, and then the western part, we share borders with Zambia. Now, it's not like you don't have water, because when I did look at the map, there's a big lake. We have a big lake called Lake Malawi, the 50th largest freshwater lake in the world. About your, your nation in general, what is the economic driver for your country? Is it, I know a lot of people like to go to take safaris and vacation in different countries. Is it natural resources that, that help drive the country? Basically, it's agriculture. Agriculture, That okay. helps drive the country. For agriculture, it's subsistent farming. People have fields where they plant their crops, and from the harvest, that's where you get your food and the other needs of the household. So basically, it's farming, the traditional way of farming, you use hoes, you have a piece of land, rain-fed, so you depend on the rains. A lot of people say, well, Africa, it's desert, but that's not the case in Malawi. No, it's not desert, although we have now challenge of de- challenges of deforestation now, but it's not desert. Every year we have a government program that encourages people to plant more trees, but the deforestation is, is still a challenge. Is it flatlands, grasslands, mountains? Both. We are part of the Great African Rift Valley. So the lake, you go down the Shire River, down to the southern part, the Shire River goes into Zambezi River, then to the Indian Ocean. So we have the mountains, we have the, the valleys, and we have very good rivers. How's the, the government there? Is it pretty stable? Or I, I know in some countries there's a lot of turnover. Sudan, I see them in the news all the time, a lot of fighting there. Other countries, there's gang warfare and struggles for control of the country. But is your nation pretty calm? I think Malawi is a peaceful country, very stable. Basically, it's because we do not have minerals. By minerals, I mean gold, diamond, or oil, or gas. But we don't have that in large numbers. I think there's no fighting. Because it's there's greed. There's no power that... struggle because of that. Yeah. There's nothing to fight for. So we have been a very peaceful country, relatively. I think for the poor people, and with the peace, at least we are surviving. Yeah, I've heard about other nations where there'll be an influx of representatives from China because they're coming in looking for those natural resources that you're speaking of. Has there been any exploration in your country of that kind of mineral or natural resource? There has been. It is happening now. Uh, Some years ago, some uranium was found in the northern part of the country. Uh, There are still people coming in to look for, for minerals, and the Chinese are there. Mm -hmm. They are coming in. Funding projects, 
but in, through the funding, uh, they have their numbers increasing too, and maybe exploring for, for the minerals as well. Talking about the faith aspect of your country, is it primarily Christian, Catholic, Protestant, Islam? It's primarily Christian. We were colonized by the British in 1891. So the first people who came with the Christian faith were not Catholics. They were Presbyterians from Scotland. Okay. Uh, the Catholics only came in 1901, the White Fathers, and then the Montfort missionaries came in 1904. These are like French and Canadian? French and Canadian, the White Fathers, and then the Dutch, and, and a bit of French, and British, the Montfort Fathers. Okay. So these were the two main missionary groups that came into Malawi in the early 1900s. And the faith has grown ever since? Faith has grown ever since, although today we have challenges now. Because the missionaries are gone, we have very few missionaries. In my diocese, we don't have any, any missionary. So the kind of evangelization that they used to do is meeting challenges today. With them, people felt you, you go to the parish, you go to church to get something. The missionaries had wide opportunities of getting money and resources. When they, came, when they opened the parish, they would open schools. Sisters would come. They would have a hospital would have brothers who would help in the buildings. But now that they're all gone, the challenge now or the burden is on diocese and priests. We have seen now Islam coming, taking the same evangelization methods that the missionaries used. And we have Islam now building mosques everywhere and hospitals. They may even come to a village where there's no Muslim. They will just build a mosque and leave it. And then slowly they attract people with these handouts and what, and people start becoming Muslims. They've been saying here in the United States, if you build it, they will come. And that sounds like mm-hmm. what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Is the reason that the missionaries aren't there anymore is because the missionary priests have lost or seen a decline in their vocations? Or is it just they said, our work is done here, we're moving on somewhere else? Not really our work is done, but their vocations are declining, so they are becoming less and less. In, in fact, some of them had to be recalled back to, to Europe to, to work there, so they left. Most of them grew old. They went back home. Most of them have died now. May they rest in peace. But the missionaries really have, their vocations have declined. Mm-hmm. How, they, how about the vocations in your diocese, in your country, for Catholicism? Have we seen an uptick, or is it pretty stable, or is it declined? Vocations are increasing, but unfortunately, if you compare the number of Christians baptized every year and the number of priests being ordained, we would say we still need more priests. Mm-hmm. We still need more vocations. Because every year we have new baptisms, numbers are increasing, and yet the number of priests is, no, is not much. It's not keeping pace. No, 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 it's not. How many parishioners are there on average for every priest? Like, what's the ratio? Uh, 5,000? Catholics for every priest, or do you know? It's slightly more than that. It depends on parish to parish. There are some parishes that are in the cities. Now, our cities would not be like your cities here, but we still call them cities. So in the cities, we'd have more people in the cities than the parishes that are in the rural areas, in the villages, because in the villages, people are scattered. Right. Like in my parish, I have 12 churches, 
So apart from the, the parish church, I've 11 other churches that I have to visit. It's like little missions, kind of. Yeah. So like here, Christ the King, uh, the next parish, St. Patrick's, that would be an out church. And the other parish this side would be an out church. Or if I go to the west or east, the next parish would be an out church. So I have 12 churches, 11 out churches. We have to travel to those churches once a month for mass. Once a month? Yeah. So the furthest is eight miles from the rectory, no, the nearest, and the furthest is 27 miles. So depending on what time of the year, when the rains begin, traveling becomes a challenge. It's not like you just pave roads everywhere. It's all dirt road. Yeah. And then we have rivers that we can't cross during the rainy season. So I know in remote areas like, I'll say, Alaska mm-hmm. in the United States, mm-hmm. uh, they have a bishop and they have priests, and a lot of the they're visiting the indigenous people there by airplane. For you, how do you get around to all these places? Do you have a like a jeep, a truck to cross these rivers and such? Not really a jeep. I have a truck, but not four by four. An old one is more than uh, it was made in 2008, so it's 15 years old. And then I have an off-road motorbike. In some places, you, see, you have to leave the motorbike and walk because uh, there are no roads. So it just depends from area to area. As I said, in other places, like I have three churches, which I can't visit when the rains begin right. because you have to cross a river. And when the rains begin, those rivers are full. You, you can't take the risk. But that's, traveling is a big challenge, but we have to get to the people. Sure. Yeah. Where you are, is it very rural? Is it a rural area? Is it dangerous? It is dangerous. You can't travel at night. Because of the... Um, wild animals. Really? Yeah, you'd easily meet the hyenas. Fortunately, where we are, we are close to a game reserve, but it was fenced. But you still have wild animals that rove around. Like lions and that kind of... No, for a lion, no. When lions come out, the government officials will come and the game rangers will come to to take care of that because they can attack people. Right. They can attack animals. So they will attack your goats, they will attack your cattle, they will attack people. So So, they are dangerous. So people just don't really travel at night in your You don't travel at night. It's dangerous. What about gangs and and tribal fighting? Is, Is that another issue for traveling? It depends from area to area. Okay. In other areas, you'd be robbed if you are not careful. Some you would even be killed. It depends. But uh, yeah, I was going to say otherwise. I mean, this is kind of an extreme, but yeah. over, it's an overall peaceful country. It would yeah. be if you wanted to visit there, you could. Oh, sure. um, and, and and go on, a, on an adventure. I would say. Ah, sure. We have the beautiful lake one, and we have a lot of uh, national parks, so people can come for safari. It's very peaceful. So you came to the United States for a little bit of relaxation, but really to work. What is your work bringing you here for in the United States? I came to the to the U.S. to make some appeals to, to fundraise for my work in, in my parish. Uh, some friends who invited me as well, so part of relaxing. Mm-hmm. But basically... The work that I do back home needs some support. What kind of specific needs are there? You're at St. Anthony Parish, is that right? St. Anthony Parish, Changoima. Okay. Yeah. So what are your needs? Firstly, we are supporting girls to go to school. 
girls to go to school? Go, girls to go to school. Why just girls? Why not boys? Uh, you know, in Africa, most of the tribes are patrinio. By patrinio, I mean the, the male or the boy have an upper hand. They are supported more than the women or the girls. So you have a situation where even if the boy is not as bright as the girl, the girl might be bright in class, but the one who receives most support is the boy. Now, primary school in Malawi, which you call grade school here, is free. Although our schools are not as, 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 as we are schools here, but uh, primary school is free. So you start school at the age of 8, 9, 10, depending on where the school is and where your village is. Some pupils have to walk for a mile, two, three, four, five, six, seven miles, depending on where the school is and where your village is. So when you start grade school, you go to school as a group from one village, you meet other pupils from other villages, and you go back home in the afternoon. But when you finish grade school, we call it primary school, standard eight, then you have to go to secondary school, which you call high school here. For that, you have to pay school fees. Is that uh, because of the remoteness of some of the areas and the, the distance? I mean, I can tell you with, with great confidence that a parent in the United States would not send their child to walk six or seven miles to mm-hmm. school each mm-hmm. way. There's an old joke here in the United States where a grandparent or a parent would say, well, back in my day, I used to walk uphill three miles in the snow mm-hmm to and from school, mm-hmm. which we know that was a fable. However, that's a reality where you're from. Sure. So parents here in the United States mandate busing. They take their kids to school. I remember riding three or four miles on my bike to school when I was growing up, but I don't see that a lot anymore here in the United States. It's there now. Basically, the schools are far apart. We wish you could build more, but the resources are not there. So the schools are far apart. That's why I said it depends from village to village. Some villages are closer to the school. Some villages are far away. What's the typical cost? I know the the education is free, but you still have to pay for material. You still have to somehow maybe compensate the teacher or the instructor. So what would be the average cost to educate a primary or even a secondary school child? As I said, for secondary school, for primary school is free, but now the, the parents have to buy uniform. They have to buy notebooks, exercise books. That for a parent, for one kid in a year, would come to $30. That would mean the uniform and class material. That's for the primary school. But for secondary school now, the school fees is equivalent to $40 per term. And for three terms in a school year, it's $120 for one child. Plus other school materials, uniform and other school materials, $30 is $150. So with $150, uh, one kid can go to secondary school one school year. Now the challenge comes that in a family where they have the boy and the girl and both have to go to secondary school, first priority will be given to the boy. So that's the challenge we have now. So a lot of girls are failing to access secondary school, even when they finish primary school, because the parents will have to make a choice. Which one do we take? 
we don't have enough money. So we have a program in the Badish where we, we pick the girls and support them. We wish we could reach out to more, but we have very limited resources. And so today you're in the United States to help raise some funds Yeah, to help educate. 150 per year. 150 per, per child per year. Yeah. And how many how many children are we looking at? I saw in a release here that you were looking to raise, what, about $14,000, $13,000? That was now for a primary school that we wanted to build. Okay, so you're, that's also a, that's another thing that you that's need. A, that's another thing because we have an area in my parish, the furthest area, where the pupils have to walk between 8 to 11 miles. 8 to 11 miles a day. And now, because of that, many pupils, many kids do not go to school in that area. It's just too far. Yeah, and because of that, those even who start school don't finish primary school. They will start school at 11, 10, 11, 12 years old. By the time they are 16, 17, they haven't yet finished. Some of them drop out, and that leads to child labor and early marriages, you know, what happens in the village. So two years ago, we asked the government if we could open a school in that area so that we could shorten the distance but also would protect them because in the rainy season when the rivers are high, they can't cross the river to go to the school. They pass through bush area, which is also dangerous for them. So we are making efforts to open that school. Government allowed us. Uh, we had built a, like a shelter. Literally of dirt and trees. Yes, and... so that we could begin at least. So government provides the teachers and pays them, but the structures you have to, to provide. So this year we have been challenged because the governor said these structures we built are not good, dangerous for the children. You better have proper structures as a school. So that's what we are trying to do now, fundraise so that we can build a proper structure, proper school blocks. So one school block will have two classrooms, another school block, two classrooms. For a full primary school, you would need four blocks which are eight classrooms. That's from standard one to standard eight. So we wanted to start with the two blocks. Right. So that we have standard one to standard four. So we are sure those kids that are already coming now, if we build proper structures, will attract more, but also government want to pull out, we will not take the teachers back, and they will recognize that there is a Catholic uh, primary school here that has begun. So for that is $13,500 equivalent to our currency that we would need uh, to construct uh, these, these school blocks. How long have you been a priest? I was ordained on 16th July, 1995. 1995. So 28 years now. 28 years. Yeah. Has the priesthood been what you thought it would be? No. How so? I, How so? I, I, I think what you... What you look at as a seminarian, and when you get ordained, are so different. Maybe because in our time we had a lot of missionaries. Like when we were young, we, we, we never saw an African priest. I was an older boy then. We used to have white missionaries. Until 1984, when I saw First Ordination. So the priesthood we had in mind when we were young, when we went to the minor seminary, was that of the missionaries. But now we went to the minor seminary, 
Now we had uh, Malawians becoming priests. When we were major seminarians, we still had the missionaries. Then in the late 90s, all of a sudden, all the missionaries left. And the challenges that came through and that were the challenges that we have now are really giving a different picture of priesthood. That you basically have to be so dedicated, be available. And of course, a diocesan priest is you are saving your own people. It's the people of your land, the people of your area, the people of your diocese that you save. So that commitment for the past 28 years has made me see priesthood totally different when I, when I was a, a young seminarian. It's been a blessing for you, though, I would imagine. It is a blessing. I mean, growing up in a, in a family where uh, we were eight children, uh, three girls, three boys, and four girls, basically our houses in Africa are made of sticks and mud and thatched with grass. The boys will have a room, the girls a room, the parents a room. That's all. So there's no, nothing like chairs in the house or what. In the morning, you get out, you get out. You come back in the evening when you want to sleep. You cook outside. You sit down and eat outside. You go and work in the fields outside. So growing up in that situation, you learn to take care of each other as children. You wake up late, your brother can put on your pair of shorts and, and, and go out. You, you have to you'll be forced to, if his was dead, you'll be forced to take his and put on. So large families, but where you learn to take care of each other from an early age. And as you become a priest, in your mind, you take the whole parish now as your family. Did you or, or other priests maybe growing up saying, I'll go to be a priest, this is a way I can change lives, but also maybe leave the village and, and, and have a better opportunity? Those things can come up in your mind, but the reality will always pull you back and say, this is your situation. So basically, as I said, a decision priest to identify to save your own people. So you go to accept what you have in your area and then see how you can save your people better. It's more responsibility now. <laughs> if That's you were thinking that way, I just said. The three programs I talked about, right. the education for girls, uh, the school we want to have, and then... My parish, St. Anthony, was instituted in 2017. So it's a new parish. We still have more out-churches to open. And even the out-churches that we have now, some structures that we call a church, they are not, they are not churches. Thatched with grass, uh, not safe. We would like to, to construct or build a better church for the people in that area. And the people will be cooperative. They will, they, will, they will make the bricks. They'll bring sand, they'll bring stone. Whatever you ask them on their part, they will manage to contribute. But there are some things that they can't get. And for that, we need, we need support. Thank you for making time to come over and visit with us and share a bit about your beautiful country of Malawi and uh, your diocese and your parish of St. Anthony and our best wishes and prayers to all of the young boys and girls and their families as they continue their education. And again, friends, I, I want to remind you that if you would like to help Father Michael in his mission to help educate and uh, grow the faith in his diocese and in his parish in Malawi, stay tuned to Spirit FM and we'll get you all the information that you might need. Father Michael, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much, John, and thank you so much, all members of Spirit FM. Thank you for accommodating me, and thank you for the good interview. We pray to God that 
this interview bears good fruits and that our work in evangelization back home in Africa continues flourishing. Thank you. Father Michael Yusini from the Diocese of Chihuahua in Malawi, Africa, has been our guest today, and that's how we see it. Thanks for listening to today's program. This presentation and others like it are made possible by supporters like you. If you'd like a copy of today's program, make comments or suggestions, and to help us keep this important programming on the air, visit myspiritfm.com slash how we see it.